Hey deserving listeners and welcome to the It's What's Next podcast for SME owners who are interested in learning a bit more about how IT can help their business. Today we're going to look at innovation or more specifically we're going to look at how we can add resilience and strength and adaptability and flexibility to our business by innovating with IT. We're going to start off by talking a little bit about what innovation is, then we're going to look at flow, workflows within the business, robotic process automation and then we're going to touch on some data-driven business bits and pieces so as of the time of recording we're in we're in the middle of june and we are just starting to see the release of the lockdown restrictions within in the uk with about the covid19 pandemic over those months we've seen small businesses do a lot of work around trying to work out how their business is going to survive or deal with the fact that quite a lot of businesses can't trade at the moment because of just restrictions. And we're also looking at ideas about what might happen with the economy going forward. So this means that a lot of businesses are looking at kind of these existential crises. We're sort of thinking, actually, how are we going to survive at this point? And it doesn't necessarily have to be that there's some threatening aspect to our business for us to think about ways that we can make it more resilient and more adaptable. These are kind of evergreen concepts that, uh, that apply even in the good times and in the bad times. But it is much more important to lean in and really get some of these things sorted out when when everything is a bit difficult. So a word that we've been hearing a lot about is this idea of pivot. If you talk to a lot of business owners, they're sort of talking about pivoting their business, and you're probably thinking about, in your business, what we're doing about pivoting. And pivoting isn't really pivoting if everyone is doing it. Pivoting is really this idea that we're, we're looking at some opportunity or threat within our business, and we want to be able to move in order to take advantage of that opportunity or in terms of avoiding the threat. When we're all pivoting, because we're all doing the same thing, it's more like we're flocking. It's like we're a flock of birds and we're all suddenly changing direction en masse away from a threat or towards an opportunity. And of course, at the minute, there's quite a lot of threats. A good example of this is online networking. You see a lot of networking groups who are sitting there going, actually, we've we've pivoted to going online. Well, Okay, but all of them have gone online, so that can't be a pivot. It's nice that we have the opportunity to do that, and it's nice that within that community, the people who own those groups or manage those groups are able to to take advantage of technology in order to go in a different direction, and it's nice for the people who like to consume those services. Like, I'm a big fan of networking. Um, Online networking is, is obviously not exactly the same thing, So innovation doesn't have to be that we're doing something amazing like designing a new jet engine that we need millions and millions of pounds of investment in. It can literally be what small thing or things can we do in our business to give ourselves a capability that didn't previously exist. The reason why this lines up quite nicely for IT is that IT is a toolbox for innovation. So IT is kind of a set of principles, a set of practices, a set of technologies that can come together and let us do things in a way that we weren't able to do them before. So we don't have to do very much. We just have to think creatively and use some of the tools that we've got. And we might need to make some investment in some other tools. We might need to make some changes to process procedures or make some investment in those things. But we can start to innovate. We can develop a capability within our business that somebody else doesn't have. By doing that, we're making ourselves more resilient, right? We're building resilience. We're building strength because we're becoming more adaptable. We're becoming more flexible. And the idea of that resilience is that this is what will give us the chance when if we do have this kind of existential threat or these kind of big problems in the economy or the markets or whatever, we can kind of go, actually, we're a bit more resilient and we can do this. We can handle this sort of thing because of the way that we have set our businesses up. And from my perspective, 
of someone who's interested in IT and interested in how IT can help businesses, my position is that we can look at what we can do with IT to, to do that innovative bit. We're going to kick off by talking about flow. And so flow is the positive mental state of being absorbed in a task and able to be creative and be productive and do things in an almost kind of superhuman state of mind. This is the sort of type where we set down and do some work and we lose track of time and we get completely absorbed and we end up creating something unbelievably special. And it's this point that we we want to get to. We want to achieve flow for ourselves because we run our businesses and we want to make sure that we're able to kind of A, really enjoy that, but B, also come up with some really special things. But if we've got people working for us, we want them to achieve flow as well because on the one hand, we get more out of people if they're in flow. But on the other hand, when we're helping them to be creative, we're helping them to do their best work, those people who are working for us, if we're saying, actually, this is an ideal work environment, which is good, you know, this is good for them and ultimately good for the business. There's been lots of research about flow and I don't want to get too much into the kind of the researchy side because it's not really my bag. There's lots of people online that talk about research to do with flow, but in principle, intuitively we know what this is, but to put a bit of meat on the bones, it's the point where we want to get to we've got the right level of stretch. So we've got a job that to do or a task to do that's not that easy, but it's not too hard anyway. You know, it's not going to overwhelm us and it's not going to bore us. It needs to be in that sweet spot of actually this is well within my wheelhouse. This is something I can do a good job of. I just need to make sure I've got everything set up so that I can. The other thing that's important for flow is that the feedback loop is short. We want to get the feedback of these, these tasks straight away coming back to us. And when we get to that, we've got a good chance in flow. So in the software engineering industry, which is what my background is, it's well understood. And as a software engineer, my life, the times of my life when I was doing a lot of software engineering, software engineers just get obsessed with getting their head down and blocking everything out. When you're building computer software, the way that it works is because it's kind of a conceptual thing, you're kind of building something out of something abstract that doesn't exist. You kind of have to build the model of what you're trying to build in your head. And it's a bit like a deck of cards or a stack of building blocks or whatever. It doesn't kind of fit together beautifully because you're trying to work out if it is together, right? But if you go to a software engineer and you kind of interrupt them with anything, the the thing they've got in their head falls apart and it takes 20 minutes to get back to a point where you've kind of recovered where that is. Now, pretty much no one who listens to this podcast is going to be a software engineer, but this applies to anyone who's doing any form of creative knowledge-based work. A flow state involves creating in your mind a kind of a picture of what it is you're trying to do and getting into a position where you kind of have this unconscious competence where you're moving things apart in your head and you're kind of putting stuff down on paper and you're getting the information in the right place and you're thinking really clearly and every time you get interrupted it takes 20 minutes to get it back now you can get interrupted in a number of ways the phone can ring you can get a new email coming in the fire alarm can go off a co-worker wants to tell you about their weekend, any of those sorts of things. But in the context of IT and IT innovation, IT is well known for something that interrupts flow. Now, there are some people who are very uncomfortable with using computers anyway, but they are, I would guess that those are not an audience of people who are using a computer in order to achieve flow. This could be, for someone who is a knowledge worker using a computer, this could be writing a particularly good report, uh, putting together a proposal, doing some mind mapping, those sorts of things. But if we have, if we're trying to use a PC or a Mac or a computer that's slow, it's buggy, or the software that we use crashes, or the internet is slow, or that the screen isn't the right brightness, or that the keyboard's got a broken key or something like that, it will stop us achieving flow. So that PC, if it's not set up exactly how it's supposed to be, it will stop us from achieving that flow state. So it's well worth leaning in and fixing those issues. Another way to put this is that the PC or the computer you're using is a tool, and the more 
you invest in that tool and the more thought and care you take into the selection and the use and the care of that tool, the better it will be, right? This is the same if you're a painter or if you're a carpenter or or if you're a mechanic or did anything. The tools that you do, although there's a cliche of a bad workman blames, blames their tools, like a lot of cliches, there's stuff to it, but the tool needs to be good for the job. The one thing to do is to basically set up, is to set up a culture within your business where you're kind of mindful of these flow states and try and get a culture coming out of the business of when there is something not working with the computer systems that your staff are using they're able to take that back to you and say actually you know what this vpn connection is too slow or i can't transfer this stuff around or i or think it's rebooting every hour or whatever because that lets you get an opportunity to fix these small problems or where flow is hard to get hold of and we're going to come on to that in the next section where we kind of link this back to innovation so we touched on this in the last episode when we talked about how laptops are notorious for not labeling flow and that it's better to create a flow-friendly workstation by saying, actually, if you have to use a laptop, set it up with a landing strip. So have a desk where you've got a full-size monitor, a full-size keyboard, a nice, decent mouse. Ideally, you've got two monitors. So that's what we want to try and do. We want to try and get our computers so that we're using them in a way that promotes or supports or doesn't militate us militate against us developing flow. So now that we've been through and thought about what flow is, we can talk about workflows. And in this section, we're going to go into workflows and also into something called robotic process automation or RPA. What we're really talking about in the last section with regards to flow is this idea of reliability, not in terms of being reliable in terms of faults or failures, such as is the car going to start when I turn the key in the morning, but whether or not we can rely on how we've got everything set up to get us into a flow state and whether that flow state is something within the business that everyone is kind of pushing towards. So a flow state describes our individual mental state, but the workflow within a business describes how we go about doing the work we do and how those workflow parts fit together is key. So there's two kinds of workflows we need to think about, a micro level and a macro level. And we often see this sort of idea when we apply systems thinking, that the patterns at the micro level affect the patterns at the macro level. So the, the how the individual tiny little parts work tends to make the whole machine, tends to affect how well the whole machine works. So micro workflows is what we can look at how an individual is doing the work that they do. So this is kind of like how the work gets done. Whereas macro workflows are what the organization does, what kind of work gets done. So if you're a pest control business, your macro workflows might be you've got to get a van out to out to a customer site. You've got to do whatever it is you do in terms of collecting the old traps, putting new traps down, doing an assessment, etc. The micro level of the workflow is, is actually how the individual is doing that sorry, is doing the individual parts of their work that, that goes together. So when we're looking at innovation, there isn't much innovation to be had in flow. It's kind of best practice stuff. Yeah, there's things that we can look at and kind of go, okay, well, if we do this, it promotes flow. And if we do that, it militates against flow. But the workflow itself is where we can start to see innovation. And by innovation, the definition that we're using here is that we're trying to do something that our competitors either can't do or they can't do in the way that we can such that the end result is we get some benefit from that capability. So again, we're not looking to innovate and say this is an entirely new thing that nobody can do. We're looking at our community of competitors, that little constellation of people that work with or against us, who can we do things which are which are different. So an example I like to give with this is the idea of social listening, partly because A is an interesting example, but also because I'm really interested in ideas around marketing 
marketing and as an SME owner I'm really interested in marketing and sales and I like this crossover about how IT can help with marketing and sales so social listening is a great example so social listening is is social media marketing's best kept secret so if you've got someone out there saying to you you need to be advertising or you know sorry you need to be marketing on Facebook or YouTube or Instagram or LinkedIn or Twitter or whatever when you're doing all that marketing you're doing it in full view of everyone else which is great because your customers can see it but interesting in that your competitors can see it as well so if you think about making a tele you know a telemarketing campaign your competitors could not listen to your telemarketing script or if you were doing a direct mail piece or an email marketing piece your competitors they may be able to see those um, see those communications but they're less likely to if you post something on twitter all your competitors can see it and this applies to search engine marketing and and social media marketing as well. A macro application of a workflow within a business to do with this can be that you have a process within your business that says that says that every day I want to know exactly I've got these keywords I want to track on AdWords and I want to know which of my competitors are bidding for them and I might have another piece that goes along with that so I know exact I, I can I know exactly how much they're paying as well. So that's the macro application that I want to be able to make decisions within my business based on data that comes from an analysis of AdWords. The micro workflow that goes on is that someone has to go into has to go onto Google and actually search those keywords each day and then make a note of who keeps up with it and then maintain a little database or Excel or whatever. So the macro application is we got to do this constant ongoing competitive analysis bit and the micro application is what we do. This is a good example of a kind of grunt work task that has to happen within a business. And these grunt work tasks happen wherever. And there's two problems with grunt work tasks. One is that they're incredibly boring for the person that's doing it. And two, that there's an opportunity cost. In that if you ask someone to spend two hours every morning sitting there going through Google AdWords and making a list for you, they're not actually doing anything creative. So they're not bringing their full capabilities to bear on the business, right? This is The grunt work is not the sort of thing we want a human being to do. And that's where we get into the idea of robotic process automation or RPA. RPA is a really strange term. It's almost like a term that you would expect to see invented in the 80s, but it is a new thing and it's quite hip and trendy in enterprise space or in large uh, large corporate IT uh, systems. So RPA is just a software robot and it is a fancy name for effectively a macro or a piece of software that knows how to do something so it replaces a, a task that a human being would do. We often think about these ideas that artificial intelligence or software is going to take people's jobs and RPA doesn't necessarily need to be an artificial intelligence thing. It can be relatively simple like building a piece of software that searches on Google for the keywords you want to rank for and taking a note of your competitors doesn't require AI and is not particularly difficult to write. But when we look at we talk about technology taking jobs we need to think more about if you've ever been to B&Q and you've seen they've got those machines in there where it will cut a key for you so rather than going down Timpsons with your key you can there's a machine in B&Q you put your key into and it cuts it it's we're not looking at general purpose artificial intelligence or robots or software robots taking people's taking jobs it's being able to do these things that kind of can be automated so it's an extension of automation um, and again the thing that I lean into as a social enterprise is that I think actually it's not I'm creating better jobs the more RPA that I can do in my business because I'm freeing up people to do things which only a human can do and which I want 
that person to feel that they're they're actually really making a contribution because they genuinely are making a contribution. So there's this idea that you can have RPA with inverted commas, so you know capital R, capital P, capital A, or RPA in terms of actually I've just got some piece of software in my business that does this repetitive task for me that's part of a workflow. By identifying those parts where we can say here is a workflow within the business and if we take an RPA systems view to it, we're able to do that in a way that our competitors can't, then it fits our definition of innovation. An example here might be if you did a social listening campaign to keep track of your competitors on AdWords, you might be able to do that forever. You know, come rain or shine, hell or high water, you can do that job forever because you're doing it with software and once you've made that initial investment, you can use it forever. Your competitor might be doing the same thing, but if they're doing it manually, if they come under a bit of a pinch or the person's sick or simply just doesn't want to do it anymore or it doesn't seem to have that perceived value, they may stop doing that task. So you've managed to create a capability innovatively within your business that your competitor can't do. Like a lot of things to do with IT, when you're when you're thinking about it in this level, it comes down to a lot to culture. So you're trying to build a culture where you're promoting the idea that finding opportunities to boost workflow efficiency on a micro or a macro or both levels in an organization are key. So what can you do to get your staff thinking about optimizing their personal micro workflows? Can you create a culture where if an employee or where if a staff member is sitting there going, this thing I'm being asked to do every day is just stupid. I can just this got to be an easier way to do this. Rather than having an employee that goes, oh you know, I've just got to do this. This is my job and I'm going to crank on with it. You can have everyone looking out for these opportunities. Again, this comes down to you as a business owner to look at your micro workflows as well. And it's slightly different at that level where you have to develop a better understanding of what the systems you're using can do. You need to have a better understanding of what the IT could do in order for you to make possibly greater leaps than you would expect someone else in the business who who wasn't able to have their full mind on where the business is going to go all the time. Again, you need to be looking at your personal micro workflows, designing the macro workflows and creating a culture where everyone is pushing towards optimization of those workflows and finding opportunities for innovation. And that way you can get some innovation almost by osmosis. You don't need to do anything. It just comes out from the culture. So rather than having to go, you know what, today, this month, we've got to do something innovative. We've got to come up with something clever and sitting down and doing it as a deliberate task. It becomes something that the business does without effort. So just before we go into the last bit and start unpacking the idea about data-driven businesses and CRM, which we're going to go on to in a later podcast, I wanted to talk a little bit about what it is that I do within my business and what my business is, what's next IT does. We're a managed IT support business, so we help small to medium enterprises with their IT, things like backup, antivirus, Microsoft 365, etc. We do break-fix support, so if something breaks, we can come in and fix it. And we also do a lot of support and education with our customers to make sure that they're getting IT that operates at a really good level and so they can do things like the innovation that we're talking about in this podcast or stuff we've we've spoken about in past podcasts. We happen to be a social enterprise so we do the IT for SMEs but we employ people who are disadvantaged in the job market such as care leavers, ex-services personnel and so on and as such we're unique. We're the only business in the country that does this and we work within the Milton Keynes and surrounding areas so Bedfordshire, Buckinghamshire, Northamptonshire, Milton Keynes, Northampton etc. So if you'd like to learn more about what it is that we do, you can visit our website at www.iwn-it.com. So in this last section, I'm going to look at the idea of being data-driven and how our CRM or customer relationship management system impacts that. 
So previously we spoke about creating a culture of finding ways in which workflows on both macro and micro levels can be optimized, but ideally this has to go hand in glove with making decisions in a data-driven way. Now, a lot of SMEs don't make decisions in a data-driven way. It tends to be a larger, um, larger organization way of thinking about things, but I don't think there's any reason for this other than the fact it just isn't a typical thing that people do. There's no reason why SMEs can't be data-driven, why they can't collect data and work with data in the same way that large organizations can do and do do to great effects. We're going to talk about data-driven and CRM ideas in future podcasts. It is a critical component in optimizing an SME business so that its IT is more than the basic IT anyone can get just by driving down PC World, picking up a laptop and, and taking out a Microsoft 365 subscription. It's this that separates the adult from the children. General idea is that while intuition has its place and a lot of and all businesses depend on intuition and we all as business owners make intuitive leaps about how things should be done, we're generally better able to make decisions if we're able to rely on data. And again, it comes down to a cultural thing that if we can promote the idea that being data driven within our business is better, we're likely to get better decision making and smoother decision making. So this means that we need to be able to A, collect the data, B, store the data, and C, analyze the data. And as an SME, it's unlikely we're going to have so much data we can't analyze it that we can't look at things and, and make decisions. So rather than being a large organization that might have masses of data we have to we have to make decisions based on, we can kind of blend the intuition and fast agile thinking of an SME with, with the bits of data that we can collect. So when it comes to collecting data, all businesses experience constant flows of data because every event within the business creates data. This can be something as concrete as a customer phoning in with a customer service query, in which case we might note the we might know the person who took the call, the person who called in, what it was about, which number they called on, how long the call was, etc. So all these little data points we can collect. Or it can be something as ephemeral as how much coffee a team gets for each week. So we can basically go, last month we ordered three massive tins of coffee and this week we've ordered four, what's going on there? I'm not necessarily saying that that's a useful form of data, but I'm trying to draw an example that data can be something that people kind of expect. So, you know, if you're, man- if you're monitoring calls, people expect some data to come out of that process to something within the business that people don't really expect to find data-driven. So we saw an example above as to how if we use social listening, we collect data on what our competitors are doing, and this can let us make data-driven decisions. So we might intuitively sit there and think, actually, you know what, I really need to go to Google and I need to rank for this particular keyword. And someone comes up to us as a business and goes, no, 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 keyword A is not the one you want to go for, you want to go for keyword B. And we're sort of saying to them, well, why do we do that? I think it should be A, and your colleague is saying, no, no, I think it should be B, and you're both sitting there going, well, okay, which one's it going to be? And ultimately someone has to make a decision. But if we have data that says that we know our competitor is having great success with keyword B, and in our case we know that the colleague is right and that our intuition is wrong, we can see that we should focus on keyword B and that colleague is going to have a legitimate argument to say, but we got the data to support my argument and we don't have the data to support your argument. You know, with a cool head we can look at this and kind of go, you know what, yeah. So there's a principle in police forensics that police forensic investigations that every time a person interacts with some sort of space, some forensic evidence persists that can be detected and acted upon. And that is exactly the same as what's happening here. There's a good chance that you have way more data available to you than you think. And to come back to my last point about um, my own personal fondness for looking at 
marketing and sales in small businesses, this is a very data-driven discipline. So there's lots of things that you know, like how many emails you sent out, how many were opened, how many were forwarded, how many clicks you got on the website, how much it cost to get that um, paid click in from Twitter, etc. How many people came to the event. All of these things, there's loads of information you can collect. There's loads of information you can collect. The question is then is where do you put that data? And although it depends what the data is, a really decent place to put it is in your CRM. And if you don't have a CRM, A, you need one. And B, we're going to talk about CRM more as we go on through this podcast. And there's stuff on the website that I called out before about how to select a CRM. It is an absolutely critical piece of software for your business to have a CRM available to everyone in the business where all of this data that you're collecting can be put. So everyone has an opportunity to throw in, to lean in and really get involved with this decision making. So your CRM should be a central repository of everything that happens in, happens to or happens for the business. And all of that data should live in there. And by doing that, you make it more equivalent than what you often get with CRM in in SMEs, in that it's just effectively the same as hoarding a box full of business cards by putting that data in by being able to make decisions you can do some really special things with it and become a data-driven business there are simple easy ways in which we can innovate within our business and by doing so we're building in resilience and adaptability so again innovation doesn't have to be anything flashy it can literally be we can do something our competitors cannot We spoke about how flow is important, that by getting everything working well and flowing properly, it lets us focus on the workflows within the business at micro level and macro level to find those opportunities for innovation, to be able to do things our competitors can't, or do things that they do do, or we can do things in a way that they can't. And the culture is key here, being able to have that culture that says, everything's better set up beautifully, we're able to achieve flow, we're able to put our creative thinking on, where can we find these workflows that we want to improve? Once we have that culture, and once we've got that innovation mindset, by being data-driven and being able to collect that data, put it in a place where we can see it, and have, again, a cultural change to really think about data and move away from intuitive thinking and be data-driven, or rather bring intuition into how we're making decisions based on data, we can find places that we can innovate and we can do some stuff that's really special. And I do hope the things we've spoken about in this podcast have been useful, and thanks very much for listening and take care.